Amen. Lord, we're coming into your presence to learn of you, to grow in grace and in knowledge of you. We come here to worship you. Let our worship, our praise be acceptable in your sight. Let the sweet smelling aroma of what we just sang and worshiped you, praised you, arise before your throne. And may you be well pleased that your people love you. Today, Lord, we ask to hear from your presence as we long for not just every Sunday, but every day of our life, every breath that we take. Lord, today, speak to us through your word. And may we not just hear it, go in one ear and out the other, but let us apply it to our lives. Instruction minus the application, we'll just stay right in the frustration that we always lived in. So today, bring peace into our hearts as we remember our Savior and what he spoke and what he told us from your word today. And we pray in his name, Lord God Almighty. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, for those that just tuned in online, I know we got a whole new audience. This is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. If you're local, we're in Lantana, Florida, which is just south of West Palm Beach. It's uh, just north of Delray Beach. And we're on High Paluxo Road, the 2810 High Paluxo Road. You get on I-95, you head north or south, wherever you're from. And when you get off at High Paluxo, go west a quarter mile. We're on the right-hand side. Can't miss us. We're here every Sunday at 10 a.m. And uh, you can tune in online, freedomchurchpb.org. And we're here every Saturday on the men's Bible study at 9 a.m. And it's not aired, but uh, we're here. If you're local men, come on by. Um, uh, online, for those of you online, you can go to our website there, freedomchurchpb.org. We're a full gospel church. We believe the whole gospel, the whole Bible. The, we believe that these are God's words. And they're true, whether they're in red or black and white. doesn't matter. Jesus is the Word of God, so His Word includes all that's black, and His Word includes all that's red, if you have a red-letter Bible, which most Bibles are today. Um, so you can go online. You can check us out. You find out we're a full gospel church. You can find our address, see our list of ministries. You can listen to services past. You know, you can even donate online should you want to. For those here that might be new, we don't take an offering. There's boxes in the back. The Lord has supplied. Unless the Lord builds a church, he's laboring in vain. Okay? And he could build a 20,000-member church or a 10-member church. doesn't matter. The work gets done. You know, a, a, a Jewish synagogue back in Jesus' day was a, a group of 10 men. 10 men was a synagogue wherever in biblical days. Anyway, um, come on in, tune in next week for those online. Uh, um, you know, you can tune in next week and we'll be here at 10 a.m. And uh, bring your family with you if you can't be here. Then uh, bring your family to the television set and you can even watch, watch us on TV. And um, you know what, though? You're better off going to church because church is a family meeting. And you get encouragement and exhortation. So people actually come up to you and hug you, give you a holy kiss, not a holy kiss. And, you know, they, um, and they encourage you and say, oh, so nice to see you. I love you. I missed you. You know, it's nice to have that encouragement. We all need encouragement. So um, that's about it for those online. Um, we hope that you might come here someday. We have a lot of people from... Uh, his congregation that have moved up north and they're online. We thank them for that. And um, okay, today's message. I'm going to be. We we've been studying through Matthew. Okay, and we're we're in the 18th chapter. And I skipped last week and went to First John chapter 
chapter 1 and the first three verses. And, and um, some of us, I'm going to read it to you. Some of us don't realize that God's actually here. Here's, here's the Apostle John. You know, he's the one that loved Jesus. He even addresses himself, the Apostle who Jesus loved. <laughs> you know, he got, he got it. Peter sometimes doubted. And he's there like, well, would it ever be the same because I denied him three times? John knew that Jesus loved him, and he wasn't swaying one way or the other. Here he's writing the, the book of 1 John in the first three verses. I just want to touch on this because last week God showed up mightily here. What was from the beginning, this is an eyewitness, what, was seen, what we have seen and what we have heard with our eyes and we have beheld with our hands and handled concerning the word of life, that's Jesus, and the life was manifested and we have seen him and we bear witness and proclaim you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John the Apostle is telling you, listen, I'm not lying. I'm an eyewitness to this. And you know, you know he was boiled in oil, right? He didn't die. He's like the three Hebrew children in, in Nebuchadnezzar's fire. You know, there was four in there, and when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. Well, John was boiled in oil. He didn't die, nor was he scarred. So they had to exile him to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. John's telling you, I seen him. I heard him. I talked with him. He's saying, I'm an eyewitness. And not only that, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that he saw him. He also says that, you know, the disciples saw him on two occasions. And he appeared to Simon. And he appeared to 500 people, most of whom who were alive when John wrote it. Listen, if you have 514 witnesses that say Jesus is alive, or if you have 514 witnesses that say that guy just murdered that girl with that Colt 45 over there, you, he would be pronounced guilty. And John's telling you, and all the disciples are telling you, Jesus is real. I'm an eyewitness. So, last week, you know, we, I tell you what, after the service was over, we felt the Holy Spirit here, but the Holy Spirit, we realized that we actually heard him speak. And as we study the word today, you're really not hearing my voice or my words, you're hearing the words of God because I try to stay scripturally sound. You know, my words, my words go right down to the ground, but God's words go fly throughout the universe because his word is truth. We heard him last week through the word of God. We seen him work in people's lives last week. We almost touched him. And it was a great feeling. And I love that when I pray sometimes or I'm studying when God shows up. It's like you're touching him. There's nobody I would rather touch than the Lord Jesus and God the Father. So, but we're going to go back to John 18 today. And I'm going to read two passages, Matthew 18, 12 through 14, and Luke 15, 1 through 7. And you'll recognize this passage. And it's... I titled it, God Goes to Great Lengths to Save the Lost. That was too long to put on the, the website, so you find it a little shorter there. Great Lengths is what I should have named this message. Great Lengths. So you can find out God goes to great lengths to save mankind. But they still don't seem to listen. So let's start reading. I'm going to read. This is the new, new American Standard, which I love. But I'm going to read out of the New King James today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 through 14. And then I'm going to flip over to John. 
or uh, Luke 15. Here's Jesus talking. The words are in red if you have a red letter Bible. What do you think? If a man has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray and does not, and does, does he leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices. Moreover, that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of the Father in heaven that that little, that one of these little ones should perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. You realize there's almost 8 billion people on the face of the earth? Do you realize most of them are perishing according to the word of God? A lot of them never heard it. A lot of them have rejected it. Eight billion people headed in the wrong direction. That's a lot of people. God went to great lengths to save that one lost sheep. He's given us an example here. Here's John, or Luke chapter 15 verses 3 through 7, but I'm going to start at the first verse. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. God has gone to great lengths to save mankind. And the work really is not getting done to the point where we would be winning the, if it was a football game, we would be losing ground. And we have some work to do. The church has some work to do. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's going to be angels flying, and flying around. It's probably speaking in thousands of different languages, saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord. It's not their time now. It's our time to go and make disciples. It doesn't really say go and make believers. Well, there's a lot of believers in the world, but are they disciples? There's a difference. A lot of people believe, and that's great. They get to heaven. They're going to squeak through heaven. But God wants disciples. He spent three and a half years with these uneducated men to make disciples of them to the point where when they spoke, even the Sanhedrin that had all this training, all these scribes and Pharisees had all this training, they says, where did these guys get all this knowledge? They're just fishermen. Five of them were fishermen, tax collectors. Where did they get all this knowledge? God will go to great lengths to save the lost. So he told them this parable, saying, here's what... Here's what a parable is. Kingdom parables I'm sorry, are prophetic at what will happen to Israel since they have chosen to reject Christ Jesus the Messiah. That's what a parable is. He's talking to Israel here. Jesus didn't come to, to the, the, the Gentiles. He came to the Jews. It's our job to take it to the Gentiles. That's where Apostle Paul was called into the, the meeting. 
into the kingdom. So a parable is an earthly story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth here is that God will go to great lengths to save the lost. He uses the illustration of the 100 and the 99 and the 1 to get the message across. Well, you know what? Not too much longer in this world, there will be 9 billion to 1 billion. We have a lot of ground to cover up, cover. So Jesus is trying to explain this, and he throws this earthly this parable out there. And the earthly, it's an earthly story that comes alongside of. Para means to come alongside of, like a parakeet or a paramedic or a paralegal comes alongside and helps the lawyer or the fireman. He's throwing it alongside to help illustrate it. The Greek word is para, which means alongside, and balin, B-A-L-L-I-E-N, which means to throw, to throw alongside. And that's what Jesus is doing. Therefore, parables are really stories that Jesus threw alongside a spiritual truth to help illustrate it. And that's what I'm hoping to do here today, to help illustrate this truth that Jesus is, uh, why he he spoke this parable to them. There's three principles for interpreting parables. Number one is you have to determine the context. This is about Israel. He came to the to the fold, and one of them escaped, and one of them went astray. And it's talking to many things like people that have come to the Lord and then deserted him. They went astray. And we're going to touch this verse in James, two verses in James about that as we move along. The context is really the lost because Israel has rejected their king. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3, Isaiah tells this, he says, You people Israel, the ox knows its master and the donkey knows its feeding trough, its manger, but my people don't know me. Listen, a donkey and, and a ox knows their master, but Israel don't know. I could say that about a lot of Christians today that call themselves Christians. You're not a Christian because you were born into a Christian family that goes to church. You're a Christian because you received Christ as your Savior. You were that lost sheep that he went out and saved should you believe in what he did on the cross. And since the wages of sin is death, and since Jesus is God and never sinned, and was tempted on earth and tested on earth, and he passed the test to the point where the Father cried out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He didn't have any sin, so therefore he could pay the penalty of sin for you and me. Me and you can't do it. I think I told, did I say it in a prayer here today or with the prayer with the men that we prayed before the service? Somebody asked me at the men's Bible study yesterday if I ever committed the, the, uh, the uh, sin of omission and commission. And I'm there like, I don't know, that's kind of easy to answer. Of course I did. I'm a sinner. Believe me, it weighs on me more than everything. And what God's been teaching me, I get so disappointed in myself when I fail him, I forget about his mercy. Don't do that. I do it all the time, and it hurts. It's, just, it's the devil putting condemnation into your heart. Because I have been forgiven because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I received his blood. But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become Children of God. Receive means you have to take perfect season for this, Christmas. Your spouse gives you a gift, puts it under the tree. I don't know any spouse that left their Christmas present under the tree. God gave you a Christmas present. The indescribable gift of his son Jesus, and many people have never opened up the package. It's terrible. It really is. I would be really hurt if my wife didn't open up the present under the tree. 
You've got to find a context. Here's Matthew chapter 12 and 24. The Pharisees said, This man casts out demons by Beelzebub, that's Satan, the ruler of the demons. See how bad they have rejected him? Jesus even warned them, You are on the borderline of blasphemy. Blasphemy. To say that Jesus' words are like he's speaking from the devil. You've just took the creator of the universe and tell him he's a devil. That's not good to do. I can tell you that right now. James 7 says, They blasphemed the fair name by which you are called. You hear every day people taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's not blasphemy. It's disobedience to the commandment. I tell everybody myself, I hate the F word, I hate the JC word if it's used in vain. But I can take the F word before I can take the taking the Lord Jesus' name in vain. I'd rather have them use that word than that word, but I'm going to tell them don't use that. And don't substitute a word either. You know, you're ensnared by the words of your mouth? Check it out, Proverbs 26, I think it's verse 3. You are ensnared by the words of your mouth. So what comes out of your mouth? Go to James chapter 6. He'll tell you your tongue will lead you in a direction you don't want to go. And it'll mark up the, it'll, it'll actually form the path of your life. Just your words that come out of your mouth. Do you realize that God created the entire universe with what? A word. Parables, number two. First of all, you've got to determine the context. Number two, parables are given to illustrate doctrine. Not given to teach doctrine, but to illustrate it. It's thrown alongside the doctrine. And parables, number three, teach one basic truth. This truth to this parable is leading people back great lengths. God went to great lengths to save you. That's the, the, the basic truth of this miracle. Luke chapter five, 15, verse 4 says this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? You know, I was... I was wondering about that myself when I've read this parable many times over the last 40-plus years. He left the 99, but obviously he knew that they were well protected. protected. If he would have left them in an open pasture, he left them. That means that those 99 were protected as they were left while the shepherd went out to look for this lost sheep. I'm sure it happened to David. He was a shepherd. He might have had a small herd of sheep, his father's sheep. You know, but you know what? He didn't have any lost sheep. Neither did Jesus, by the way. We'll touch on that a little later. But he didn't have to go find any lost sheep, but he had, did have predators try to steal his father's sheep. And there's a lot of predators out there today to try to steal Christians who really believe away from the truth and lead them in a direction that they shouldn't be going. God will go to great lengths to save the lost, and Jesus proved that. God demonstrated his love towards us. That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were sinning, he died for you. He didn't say, oh, he's too bad to save. No, he loved you. He died for you while you were yet sinning. So those 99 are protected, and the shepherd goes and watches and tries to seek out the lost sheep. Of course, uh, most likely the direction they just came from. When a sheep goes astray, and we people, even Christians, are, we're known to be sheep. When, they, when you go astray, number one, you're lost to God. Number two, you're lost to the flock, the church. A lot of them out there are on that. 
and a, you're lost to yourself. You're lost. You're a lost person. First Timothy, Timothy tells us this in First Timothy two, three through six. Let me read it. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Listen, God will go to great lengths. It tells you that when you go astray, he wants you back. He wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what did Jesus tell us? We know for sure he told us that he is the way and he is the truth. And as I say all the, all the time, it's emphatic the way Jesus said this. If you go to the Greek... I've had two years of Greek. I can't speak any language, but I, I know Greek verbs and nouns and stuff. The Greek actually says, you know, I am. Jesus said ego imi in Greek. And ego imi means, ego means I, and imi means I am. So if you put them all together, Jesus just didn't say I am the truth. He said, I, I am the truth emphatic. See what I'm saying? He didn't mince words. Jesus is known to be compassionate, but when he spoke, he was powerful and direct. He said, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. And let's do this again. Unless you believe ego e me, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I, I am, you will die in your sins. And I am is the name of God. Did you know that? I am is the name of God. When Moses, chapter 15, I believe, or 13 of Exodus, saw the bush burning, and he said, who should I say sent me to deliver Israel? He said, you tell him I am who I am has sent you. That's the name of God, one of the names of God. Of course, he has many names. But Jesus is being very direct. There were seven I am statements, and he wanted them to know, I, I am the door. I, I, I am the shepherd. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And right here it says, there is but one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's Allah come from? Where's Buddha come from? Where's Muhammad come from? You know, Allah thinks he's God. He's really a demon described by his followers as a god. Mohammed and Confucius and, and uh, Buddha never, ever said that they were God. Jesus was very direct many, many times. And even the Old Testament speaks of this one that will be called the Messiah. We are without excuse. The whole American nation especially we, a lot of people, have gone astray. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, not just to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews, but it pertains to us today. We have gone astray. Not all of us. There's always a remnant, even in every church. Every church that really proclaims the name of Jesus, I am convinced there is a remnant in there that holds fast to the truth, which is Jesus. The sheep... The shepherd goes a long way. Well, the sheep are lost to, the, to God. They're lost to the flock. They're lost to themselves. He knows not where he wanders. You know the sheep? Sheep are stupid animals. Did you know that? They'll go right up to a fox or a wolf and just sniff it. If, if a sheep walks off a cliff, the other ones will follow him right off the cliff. That's how stupid they are. They have no comprehension of threats to anything. They're just like that. And God likes us to that because, you know what, he likes the Christians. We're sheeps of his flock because, you know what, some people are really stupid. 
Not to the fact that they have earthly knowledge. You're an engineer or a doctor. But they don't consider, they, they plan for their career. But they didn't plan for their eternal destiny. They didn't read the direction books. You know what somebody told me, and you, you know it, Bible. You know what it means. Oh, I forget what it means. <laughs> huh? Go ahead. Tell me. I want to make sure you know it. There you go. Basic instructions before living earth, but nobody pays attention to the instruction book. When I was a kid, I had my big Bible on a coffee table in the living room, and if I touched it, my mother would slap my hand. I love my mother, but that wasn't a godly thing to do. <laughs> Listen. Basic instructions for leaving the earth. Did you ever read it? Did you ever study through it? Did you really? Some of you Christians have been Christians for, who knows, 100 years. Have you ever read it? A lot of pastors never even read it through. He knows not where he wanders, this lost sheep. He doesn't know where he's, he's lost. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You're lost. I came to find you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And he came to find you. Here's what Proverbs 14, 14 says. The backslider in heart will have fill of his own ways. So if you backslide off of God, you're going to go into a terrible place of your own ways. Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. And I, I like the song, but it's not good. You should do it God's way, not your way. Your way is the wrong direction. You know what? In my yard, there's a vine growing on my fence, our fence. It's a big leaf vine, and it, it was growing down and hit the ground, and it started crawling along the ground. So I figured, I'll wrap it up on the fence, make the fence look good because there's big leaves. But when I lift up, when I lifted it up and flipped it on, the leaves were backwards. You know, the top leaves are really dark, and the underside is usually a lighter green. Well, I flipped it up there, and I thought, oh, man, it's going to die because it's not facing the right direction. So I tried to turn some of the leaves, and I was going to threaten them to break them off by turning them. A couple days later, I go out in the yard, and the leaf is turned over. All the leaves are turned over. There must have been 10, 15 leaves on that tree, big ones. And they're all turned with the, the green side up towards the sun. And I'm thinking, like, there's got to be a Bible illustration there. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what it is. If you turn to the sun, you're going to turn over a new leaf. Billy Graham would say, come as you are. I say the same thing, come as you are, but don't leave as you were. You know what? If you're astray, you're continually exposed to predators. Somebody's going to come along and lead you in the wrong direction. I had people in this church went down to the beach. This is years ago. I'm going back eight years. They went down to the beach. They're Christians. I've known them for years. Went down to the beach. This guy comes down along the beach claiming that he was the Messiah. Yeah. Came down to the beach saying he was the Messiah. So they asked to be baptized by him. And I'm sitting there going, you've you got to be kidding me. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you better be reading this book because this is your instructions before you leave earth. Because a predator can come and lead you in the wrong direction. And then you're in trouble. You need to turn over a new leaf and follow the sun, S-O-N, not S-U-N. He is also subject to frights and terrors, not being under the shepherd's care. David was a shepherd. I touched on him earlier. If, if that 
pre- if that sheep that wandered away wasn't under the the uh, under David's care, say David had one that wandered away, he would get. It's probably the one that got attacked by the lion and the bear. But you know what David said? A good pastor, a good, a good leader of a church, an elder, a deacon, you know, he would say, nobody's stealing my father's sheep. Like David. Nobody's stealing my father's sheep. So he went over and fought the, the lion and grabbed it by the beard and hit it and killed it. And the same with the beard. Beard. Bear. Same with the bear. He killed the bear. You know why David was saying? You know why he was called, called to be king of Israel? Because he says, nobody's getting my father's sheep. Listen, Israel, you're going to follow God. You're going to follow Jehovah. You're going to follow the great I am. He wasn't going to let them go astray to a lost, you know, uh, who wouldn't allow them to get lost? But some of them just keep on going. Here's James that I was talking about earlier. James the Apostle. You know who James was? He w- you know who James was? The writer of this book? He was one of Jesus' brothers. Half-brother. Because Jesus' father was God. And James's father was Joseph and Mary. James didn't believe in Jesus until after he rose from the dead. Same thing with his brother Jude, which is also in the book here. They didn't believe in Jesus until after. They thought he was crazy, Jesus. But he just kept on doing what his father told him to do. After he was, after Jesus rose, they believed and they followed and they they wrote a couple books there, Jude and James. And James says in the last three verses of his epistle, his letter, said this, If any among you are sick, let him call... Oh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong verse. He said in James 5, 19, 20, Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James is telling you right here, you are in danger if you're astray. If you're astray from God, and you are in big danger. Because there's predators out there, and you don't know what they say. They tell you that, hey, I'm the Messiah. I can baptize you in the ocean. You'll believe them. Jesus said, there is nobody else. They come to you and tell you that I am he. He says, don't believe them. That's what the Bible tells us. If you aren't reading your Bible, you won't know that. So we go through those three points. Number one, sheep that go astray are lost to God, lost to themselves, and they're lost to the flock. Number two, he knows not where he wanders. He's lost. He's a backslider. Number three, he is continually exposed to predators. And number four, he's subject to the terrors of not being under the shepherd's care. And number five, Wanting green pastures, he cannot find any way back to the fold. He's lost. He, a, a sheep doesn't know direction. He just wanders wherever. And that's what is happening to people that were Christians and have gone astray. And not only those that were Christians have gone astray, but everybody that has, doesn't even claim to know God, they are all astray. The shepherd... Well, let's go before I do that. God's heart is to bring them back to the fold. And that's why the parable was told. And that's why Jesus threw the the parable alongside of truth. Shepherd continues to care for the sheep who did not... Who did not go to stray. So those 99 were protected. He continues to protect them. I don't know if he has helpers out there. 
could be, if we're talking about the church, it could be the pastors making sure that the church is in line. The sheep don't go out wandering and get lost, but the shepherd himself, the chief shepherd, the main shepherd, he went out and got the, the sheep that was lost. The shepherd continues to care for the sheep who did not go astray. And he leaves the 99, goes to the, in, in the open pastures because they're safe and goes and chases the one down that was lost. And the shepherd gives particular care to the sheep that is lost. So the Lord today, you know, he's got particular care for all those billions out there that are lost. He loves them. And you love them. You should love them. Not be, you shouldn't love their sin, but you love them because they are God's creation. You know what? Oh, I better not use that. The shepherd has a considerable flock, yet he's determined not to lose one. You know what Jesus said in John 17, too? He's, remember, John 17 is the, the, the Lord's Prayer. I know you're going to say, oh, no, it's Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, that's not the Lord's Prayer. That's a model prayer for you to copy, you know, you know, have certain things in there that you can do. You bring adoration to God. You confess your sins. You pray for food. Jesus' prayer is John chapter 17. And the first part of that prayer, Jesus is praying for himself. And then the middle part of that prayer, he prays for the disciples. And the last part of that prayer, that chapter, he prays for us who didn't exist. But in verse in verse 12, he, Jesus is praying for himself, and here's what he said to the Father. I lost none of those which you gave me except the son of perdition. He's the good shepherd. I'll tell you what. Over my Christian career, I've been astray several times. And don't say you haven't been. I'll tell you what, he loved me so much, he came back and he got me. I was lost and he found me. So even though I received him and drifted away for a while, he came and got me and brought me back. I was that lost sheep, that one lost sheep, and he came and got me. Not just once, not just twice, probably several times in my life. Everybody thinks your pastors are perfect? Don't believe it for a minute. We're human beings, too. We go through the same things you do. Just because we know the Word of God better, maybe than most of you, and then you think, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not subject to that. Oh, yes, we are. As a matter of fact, we have a target on our back. I've been in five churches in Florida, and three of those pastors sell, felt a sexual sin. And I was a, an associate pastor under two of them. Don't tell me they can't slide. You have a target on your back if you're a Christian. But you know what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You know? The devil tries to condemn you. You just bind him back in Jesus' name. I can rebuke you in the name of the Lord. And you press on. The devil, the devil who, who tried to condemn you, God has a choice. I'm going to pick my saint or I'm going to pick the devil. Well, you know God's going to go for the saint every time. So don't be fear. Don't fear. You're a Christian soldier. You might get a few dings in your armor, but you won't die spiritually. He searches until he finds it. In other words, God follows backsliding Christians, caring for them until they return. If I kept reading in Luke chapter 15, you would see that it's about the prodigal son. You know what? I think that's inappropriate named. I think it should say the merciful father. Because God is merciful. Verse 5 of Luke 15. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. 
He just redeemed his sheep. He's laying on his shoulders. Listen, all of us have gone astray. Each of us have turned in his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So when you take the precious gift of Jesus and receive him as your Savior, you are cleansed, and the sin goes on Jesus, but it can't stay there because he never sins, so the penalty is ineffective for him, so therefore he could rise from the dead because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. Adam's sin was imparted to you. Your sin is imparted to Jesus, and Jesus imparts his righteousness to you. Beautiful. Right here, all you have to do is believe in him. God wants men and women of integrity. He wants all to be saved. You know 2 Peter 3.9. God is not slow about his promise. He's patient towards us, not wishing that any would perish, but all, capital A, capital L, capital L, all will come to know him, come to repentance. See, sorrow is not repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. So being sorry, you know what the difference between the difference between Judas and Peter were? Judas was sorrowful, but not unto repentance. Peter was sorrowful, but unto repentance. I can't believe I did this to the Lord. He didn't know what to expect when he ran into Jesus or Jesus came to him. But he found out he was, he just demonstrated Romans 5, 8 by, by loving him, demonstrating his love towards Peter, even though he sinned against him and denied him three times. He saved him. Demonstrated his love towards Peter in such a way while he was a sinner, he demonstrated his love towards him by dying on the cross. What I just told you there is just a paraphrase of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. So if you really accept the Lord Jesus as your Christ, as the Christ and your Savior, you will obey him. Repentance, godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse nine and ten. See, Jesus, the reason why he really came is to seek and to save that which was lost. Jews first and then Gentiles, which is probably all of us in this room. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, his sheep. He came to seek the sheep. He came to save the sheep because we were lost. There's a whole earth. I would hope one billion Christians live on this earth, but I'm afraid I'm probably way too high. There's a billions of people out there that are lost. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. What Jesus is saying well, through this is all souls are his. As I, I was originally a painter for years, sign painter. I did thousands of signs. I've littered thousands of trucks, hand littering. And I would always sign on the bottom, Trapani signs, but when I incorporated, I called it ambassador signs. I would sign on the bottom. And you know what? Those paintings were mine because I painted them. Souls of men are God's, and he wants them, just like a painter wants all of his paintings.
The shepherd is now claiming his own. That sheep is mine. I'm not giving it up. I'm going after it no matter what. You know the story, uh, um, Jeremiah 18, the potter and the clay. Well, he's the potter, and you're the clay. And sometimes you go astray, and you're spoiled in the potter's hands, but he just makes something more beautiful out of you. I can think of that in my own life. Anybody ever see that story, movie Joshua that was out years ago? As you probably don't remember it. I, I, I love that movie. But it's about a guy that comes into town. He's a, supposedly the modern-day Christ, and he, he goes to this church, and there's like 12 people that are leaders in the church, and they don't believe that he, he, uh, he is the Messiah, you know. And um, the one girl, her husband died in a car wreck. Her children were killed. She lost her job. She was a wreck. And he gave her one of his uh, crystals that he, he was doing, like a crystal vase or something like that. And she was talking to him one day, and she was so upset about her life and how it turned out. She's ready to kill herself. She takes the, the vase that, that he made her and throws it on the ground, and it smashes into a million people, pieces. And she runs out the door. And weeks later, she comes back to apologize, and he gives her that vase back, only now it was all pieced together, and it was more beautiful than the first time. That's what I loved about that movie the most. God can make good out of bad. Even though those sheep, that sheep has gone astray, God wants you back, and he can make something even more beautiful out of you. You were married, and your marriage got destroyed. Do you know that after you recover, you can help other marriages that are in trouble? Do you know that you that were sick, and God healed you? Do you know what that would mean for you to... Pray for somebody that has the same disease or a similar disease, knowing that you were healed. I had a good friend of mine. He's with the Lord now, Leif Johansson. One best friend. Best man in mine and Liz's wedding. And I used to go visiting hospices and different places with him. He had leukemia, fourth stage leukemia. He was driving in from Tampa over here. He was into uh, horticulture of uh, you know plants and stuff, and he's driving over to to here where he lived in Boca, and he says, "I thought somebody's chopping off my arms with a chainsaw." They said, "I I felt it chopping off my leg with a chainsaw." That's how horrible the pain was. He says, "And I went to the doctor." And, and right down here at Bethesda. And he said, doctor examined him, and he says, I'm admitting you into the hospital right now. It was like 11.30 when he got there. He said, I can't go to the doctors. I'm supposed to be up at the courthouse at noon. He says, listen, if you don't go to the hospital right now, you'll be dead by noon. That's how bad his leukemia was. He said, when he got to the hospital, which is right across the street, he says they packed him in ice, and boom, he got hit with leukemia. And he found, you know, the Lord led him to a verse in the Bible, and he always read his Bible, and he said, this is not unto death. And he went through everything, all the chemo, everything else, and during that time, he traveled around to all the Calvary chapels around the United States, Chuck Smith, you know, all, all of them. Greg Laurie. And then when he was totally healed and back normal, 25 years later, he dies. But in that meantime, from the time he was healed of the, the uh, leukemia till the time he died was a period of like 25 years. I used to go with him many times, and I was part of the Calvary um, cancer ministry for a while, and I taught there many times. And uh, I would go with him to the hospitals, and they knew that he started that ministry, and they knew that he was healed of, of leukemia. 
And when I walked into the room of these people that were in fourth stage, even in hospice, you know what? When me and Leaf walked in the room, I, they, they didn't even pay any attention to me. But when they saw Leaf, who was healed of leukemia, they just brightened up. Because right before their eyes was a miracle of God. And they wanted, hey, God did that for Leaf. He can do it for me. And he did on many of them, but not, not all of them. Most of them didn't make it. But you know what? He made their day. And because you were torn back or you backslid somewhere in your life does not mean that your life is over. No, you can help more people because there's other people going through that same stuff. And I watch people all the time. They usually leave the church they were in because they didn't want this dirty laundry to be. They don't want to anybody to know about what they did instead of bringing glory to God because he restored them from being lost and brought them back into the fold. And it, it just, it's, it's really sad to me that they would do that. Jeremiah 29, 13, you heard it. And you shall seek me and you shall find me if you seek me with your whole heart. So I don't know if some of you are astray over the internet here or some of you are astray here. It's time to come back. It's time to come back. And then, if you do come back, the seventh verse of Luke 15, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you need to turn over a green leaf, a new leaf, and, and turn towards the sun, S-O-N, like the leaf did. Turn, you know, the leaf turned to the S-U-N. You need to turn over and come to the Lord. The 99 didn't need repentance. Remember when Jesus was at, we had communion today. So you remember when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he began to wash the disciples' feet? Well, when he came to Peter, Peter's there, no, no, you can't wash my feet. I want to wash your feet. And Jesus said, no. He says, if you don't do this with me, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, not my feet only, then all of me. You know what he was saying? Jesus said, You're, not all of you are dirty. Just your feet go wet. You have been saved by the blood of the Lamb if you've accepted Jesus. You are clean in God's sight. Your spirit has come alive. You are clean in God's sight. But your feet get dirty because we live in a dirty, messed up world. And it's time to come home and repent of your sin because godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. So if you are on the internet have not come back to the Lord. It's time to come back. Time's running out for this world. It's getting darker and darker and darker every day. And sooner or later, he who restrains is going to be taken out of this world, and then all hell is going to break loose. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So come on home. All you got to do is you don't have to say a fancy prayer. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came, died, and he was buried, and he is risen. I want you to wipe away my sins, and I want to live for you. Give me the Holy Spirit to live in me. That's it. But you can't do it with this. It's got to be this. I tell everybody every all the time, 18 inches. You can miss heaven by 18 inches. You know, when you pull your compass out, and you say, north, you know you're headed to magnetic, magnetic north? Do you know the true north is something like 15,000 miles in the other direction? It points to magnetic north. True north is Jesus Christ and him alone. You better get that straight. Buddha's dead, Muhammad's dead, Confucius is dead, Allah's a demon, and you have the king of kings the great I am. So, 
Next week we'll continue. I don't know where we'll be and what passage, but if any of you are lost, come on back. Write me a letter. Send me an email, joe at freedomchurchpb, stands for palmbeach.org. If any of you here are lost and want to come back, come on up the front and I'll pray with you. Nothing special about my prayer, but we have a special God. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so beautiful. The more we study it, the more we look at it, the more beautiful our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gets. And as he gets, gets beautiful, Lord, we know that it was you on your throne that really deserves the glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of his Holy Spirit. To you be the glory, Lord. We love you with all of our heart. If there's any lost here, Lord, that listen to this message, I pray that you turn them back and throw them over their shoulders and bring them home, over your shoulders and bring them home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all.